Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy. Episode 131. Recorded on January 11th, 2013. Cheating our way to Mars. Hello everyone, welcome and one to Bad Philosophy, upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. I am back, and we are back, and everybody's back. Uh, I'm, I'm your host, Stephen Get Torrance. Back. Get, <laughs> Get back. Get back to where you once belong. Uh, get back, Kevin. We're get back, back. With, with Kevin Saunders. How, how's it going tonight, man? Uh, my phone's battery is lower than I would like it to be. That's funny because you, not you have the Droid Razor Max with two yeah, X's worth of battery life. But I've also been um, using it a ton today. <laughs> well, because Amy and I were car shopping, and so uh-huh. I was like doing a lot of things like while we were at the dealership and doing maps and all that sort of stuff and haven't charged it during all that time. Oh, so okay. I was doing those things that drain your battery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it drained my battery. Oh, what do you know? Technology, <laughs> everybody. Um, I'm not, though, convinced that my battery just suddenly got worse. Oh, okay, yeah. I changed how I was using I'm it really, today. I'm really resisting indulging <laughs> myself right now and going on a rant. Um, anyways... Kevin, Kevin is baiting me hard right now, but I'm not taking it. Uh, we're also here with, with Matt Legler. Welcome back hey. to the show. <laughs> hey. So, Matt, when, when was the last time we had you on, man? Uh, you know, I asked my girlfriend, and she told me that it was before we were dating, but I don't, can't believe that because we've been dating no. for a year and a half, so that was a long time ago. Wait, <laughs> was he on the last New Year's episode? Do what? Uh, Were you on the last New Year's no, episode? No, the last New Year's episode was was Simon, JC, you, and and Doctor Webb. Okay. Um, no, Matt, didn't we record a BF when I came back to to tech, like November, in twenty eleven? Uh, I feel like we did. I it's like yeah. I have this feeling somewhere deep inside me that we recorded an episode. I just don't remember where it was. <laughs> Yeah, and you you were you were dating your work back then, so yeah, yeah, so, yeah, probably, anyways, probably. It's not germane. so. Though it has not. It's been less than it's a year. Been a while. <laughs> it has. Well, it's good to have you back, man. Um, you yeah, are thanks. actually the reason that we are having this episode on this particular topic. Um, so we should start up by saying like we've started bad philosophy in college. Um, we did. Your, your freshman year, actually, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have been recording <laughs> actually, that philosophy. Actually, it kind of started your... before that because you and I were sitting at Thundercloud Subs down in Austin talking about how you wanted to start a podcast, and that was before yeah. I think I'd even started school. It was. Um, but for the sake of, you know, these things. Recording let's, let's... started. Recording your started first day of school, your or first more day or of less. School. Yeah, or, or roughly that first week. Yeah, um, and so we, we recorded bad philosophy throughout your time at Texas Tech, and are still going. So yeah, yeah. way um, to go! I'm in... impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I See, appreciate. It's one of the that. few things I've done this long. Like, yeah. I think about it, and like <laughs> the things that I've done in my life. Yeah. There are very few that I've done as as for an extended period of time, like other than go to school, <laughs> right? That I've done for as long as I've done bad philosophy, <laughs> which is both cool and also kind of weird. Um, I mean, I'm cool with that. I mean, it's you know, I like that I'm de- dedicated, apparently. Yeah. Um, but it's we also we have it's a team effort. I we think. don't do things yeah. consistently necessarily. No. Um, or as consistently as we would like, but we are doing them. All we're, right, and that's yeah. self-congratulation, though. Uh, Go us. We're, we're, we're not students anymore, though. So one, one of the things that, that happens when you do something this long is, is you change. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we are <laughs> we are not students anymore. None of us. Um, we're all we're all working men. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, I hear uh, too that you got a new title, Stephen. Something about Austin area technologist. Um. Well, I kind of gave it to myself. <laughs> um, I don't. Well, I think I'm, I'm supreme ruler of the universe because I called it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was already. Yeah. Um, Universal Overlord was taken, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you know it's a moniker. It 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 summarizes me in a in a nice compact way. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, I aside from getting new titles though, you know we're we're all working now, uh, but we still re- retain an interest in all things from our uh, our student past. And you know, one of the things we that that's come up recently, um, you saw you listened to to Dan Ariely's. Uh, appearance on triangulation one of the the twit network shows right right and what what was it that you took away from that because it wasn't something that you talked about directly what what was you 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 posted on facebook uh recently uh about plagiarism sure well it's funny because I, i didn't intend for it to be about plagiarism when i posted it um but basically i have a heartfelt desire for Education to be something that people love. I want. I, I. I love learning. I love learning something new. I love exploring things, and I like knowing how things work. And so, you know, I have this passion to see other people enjoy education the same way I do, and not see it as a burden. And so, um, it's interesting because I was listening to Dan Ariely. You know, he's a psychologist. You know, the way he's looking at the world, and well, he's examining he, he the, what by, makes people, um, you know, tick. Behavioral economy. And like, what keeps he, coming. He, he, he officially calls himself a behavioral economist. Like that's his that's his official title. Is his background so, in psychology though? Um, I, I think, think it's in behavioral a bit, economics. Yeah. Either way, so you know he's looking at what makes people tick, and when I look at the classroom, I feel like what's making people tick is not what they want to do, but what they have to do. And you know sometimes what you have to do is good for you, but it really hurts me to see that people don't enjoy learning and to me that's the crux of this all and so and i think that this just highlights the problems that might exist when i post an you know a few thoughts on facebook and i may have touched on plagiarism in there but that was definitely what people ran with um you know it's like um well, you know it's it's a keyword that people see and they don't see anything else and, and um, we've talked about plagiarism and, the, and that just before, bothers like... me because what i want to see is I, I want to find ways to enrich the classroom experience for students and for professors um, you know, focusing on higher education, but well, so, so what you, I'm, what you I'm tired of looking to... at something that is broken <laughs> and seeing people, you know, struggle in it. If that makes well, any sense. Oh, it it certainly does, and and it's it's great to see that you haven't lost that that idealism of 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 the student experience, Matt. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, because I, that... <laughs> I think everyone loses it in the first about oh six hours of college or um... elementary school, for that matter. Yeah, I suppose so. And then you, then you just kind of you wax and wane back and forth um, between different idealism about different things, I suppose. Um, but one of the so so aside from it being about plagiarism, which we've talked about on the show before. I mean, we've gone over you know why students cheat and what mechanisms there are to catch them, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Um, what you specifically dislike is the fact that professors are using these automated grading systems. Now, I okay, I, I don't know. I've I've never heard of this. Before. I've never heard of this. Where, where, which class was it that you took that had? Uh, oh dear, this I'm throwing people grading? under the train now. Yeah. So, what uh, what department now, was it in? At least I'll be. A, I took a freshman level intro to cinema class, 
which was a weed out class that had yeah. 250 people in it. So, <laughs> One of those, those you know, blow off I get classes, that that's the yeah. type of class that this is made for and it's perfect for. But uh, we had to watch a movie that was important to the history of cinema every week and write a paper about it. Okay. And uh, it didn't matter what the topic was. Um, the computer still graded every paper the same way. Um, and I know this because there were some topics I wrote about that I didn't know anything about. And my grade, I could watch week by week, I could watch my grade go up and down based on how many transition words I used in the paper and based on how many paragraphs I had in the paper. If I had less than four paragraphs, there was no way I ever got an A. If I had more than four paragraphs, I almost always got an A. So you you basically figured out the, the rules, the, the algorithm by which this, this system was doing the grading and, and gamed it. Right. Now, yeah. you know... And, and thereby circumvented the actual. Well, my, my question is: is grading. how far did you go in it? Did you still write an essay, or did you just put gibberish, fill it with lorem ipsum, until you hit those those transitional? <laughs> well, words? of course not. If I put gibberish, that would have been cheating, Kevin. Well, I'm just I, I'm asking because I know I've told this story before. Was there always sort of a fear that they would like randomly read yours and, and actually well, grade it? Or you no, know, there was and there wasn't because. Um, with something you did every week, I mean, if you got a zero on it, it was worth you know. It was uh, zero out of ten on that paper, you know. And yeah. if you got ten points every week, well, a zero out of ten on one when you've got a hundred on all the rest, like, what are they going to do? Retroactively go back and fail you on all the other papers, you know? Which <laughs> I guess that's possible, but um, with <laughs> the class that the big, the, the them, fear but... that st students aren't afraid of failing. Students are afraid of having to do work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I guess even say afraid. I mean, they just, I look they at just that work. <laughs> it, it pains me because, and you know, I think we, were we all homeschooled at one point. Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. Sure. So, yeah. you know, wow. I, I was taught <laughs> in my early years that learning was something I could do for fun. And if I could learn to read, then I could learn anything I wanted. And if there was a topic that interested me, I could go read about it and then I could go do or, you know, play with or investigate or research, mm -hmm. do whatever it is. And so that was, you know, the premise I grew up with. And I get to college, um, especially, I mean, this happened in high school too, but. High school's much more regulated than college is at this point. And it's just like, I get to college and there was so much opportunity to have fun learning something. And all I saw was, um, you know, students trying, you know, their fear was having to do work, not having to learn. And so, yeah. um, you know, that just rubbed me the wrong way. I feel like that's not the way it should be. Well, and, and you know, should is one thing, but th this, I, I'm just more curious about the, um, the mechanisms involved in this in this automated system and like how you how you can design such a thing right to be well i mean right now i can because I, I see, you know, I see open the up visual like, studio like, and start writing some c sharp and then about i don't know in about 15 minutes i could probably give you a program that would tell you how many paragraphs are in your paper how sure. many uh words that were over you know seven letters were in your paper and how many transition words you had which would be denoted by a word and a comma and so, so you know i can tell you something like that that would basically give you a grade um you know and that is basically what i thought was happening with my college class and i could give you something like that in 15 minutes you know my question yeah. is though is how far did you test this and this, this is the reason yeah. i was asking because I, I know i've told this story before and i was about to say it again is i had a, a class in um college that for my final paper, I wrote about a paragraph and a half worth of stuff, uh -huh. basically enough to get onto the second page, and literally filled the rest with lorem ipsum. Because by that point, I was, I was, it was the last paper of the class, and I was convinced that the professor was not reading the papers. Oh. 
um, for, for various reasons that, that aren't really as important right now. The biggest reason was that every single person who wrote a paper got 100 with absolutely no markings or comments or whatsoever. Um, so that was what led me to believe that he's not reading them. He's not, he doesn't care. He's not grading them. Right. And there were other things in the class that made me think he didn't care about the class in general. Um, you know, just the way he taught or didn't, so to speak. It was watch a video and discuss it in groups. It was 90% of what we did. Um, and so I, I had a lot of reasons. And so I decided to actually test this and see what the limit was uh-huh. on my final paper, which was as I described, um, and got a 100 in the class. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I did the math ahead of time and said, okay, look, if, even if I do this, even if he gives me zero on it, I can get an A. I, yeah. can, I can still pull an A out of this class. And so I'm like, I'm not worried about that. Um, and so the fact that I got a 100, a 4.0, in, A plus in the class by submitting absolutely no work. Um, wow. And so, that's, and so that's one of the situations where I don't, I don't know, you know, and, and I'm not going to disagree that, you know, this doesn't exist. I've never heard of anybody else using this. This is the first time I've ever heard of an automated testing system like well, this. Well, and I thought... And I wonder how automated it is. It, I, I, I wonder... Because I, I, there are things out there, and, and these, these essay mills that, that Dan Ariely talks about in a, in a blog post of his that we'll, we'll, we'll put in the show notes, um, they, they basically use Amazon Mechanical Turk-ish methods where they're... They're getting these people that are paid very low wages mm-hmm. to, you know, often it's the English is their second language. They're they're just reassembling content more than anything, or they're just you know they're poorly reading through this stuff and trying to vet it. Um, I I I wonder, Matt, if if it's not actually an algorithm. I mean, you said it was it was coming back immediately, so some of them obviously are. Right. But I wonder if there are grading services out there. There have to be. I mean, you know, yeah, they're called grad students. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I, <laughs> I mean. That's, like, I mean, that's, and honestly, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. What, I've been a grad student. I've been a grader. Yeah. Um, that's where that's that's your job is you. So you, you grade get these, stuff. You, you get, get the hard things work, and you grade yeah. them, and you know you've got fifty papers and yeah. you've got to just blindly not blindly but you know go through them as fast yeah, as you, you can you develop a method just by, you and, know, you, by, by and you do it and it's not awesome and um you know because of the time constraints you it's possible to go faster mm-hmm. and be less effective but that usually ends up erring on the side of the student's benefit rather than the other way around yeah um I, you know but I, the the mechanisms so so to take a step back like and this is kind of what you're trying to, to get at here matt mm-hmm we're, and, and this is another thing that, that Dan Ariely has criticized, is the mechanisms involved here are not designed to be conducive to, to learning, to, you know, good education. Sure. What we're designing is something very much in the vein, and, and, and you know, this goes back to the episode we, we had on education the last yeah. time we talked about this, is this, this sort of factory model of education. Yeah, the banking system. You know, the, the banking system, model. right. And so... The, the values behind such a system make a, an automated grading system or a system where the professor doesn't even read the papers at all to grade them, that make that a, a good thing mm-hmm. by the values that, you know, the, those values say the quicker you can get these people in and out and give the, and graduate them, mm-hmm. the better your school is, you know, the better the, the outcome put of uh-huh. your of your institution of your factory um and and it's it's yeah you're right it's it's just not it's not the right way to do things and so so i think we all 
we all have a different sense of what education should be, but I think I I I'm just I'm just fascinated still by this. <laughs> this, you know, the, 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 the C3PO rules. of grading. Yeah, exactly. Like, and because there, there are, there are valid problems here, I think. And, and it's not just, you don't just throw out the old model entirely. Um, y'all are familiar with Coursera, right? Nope. Uh, Coursera is online courses. Okay. Uh, was, it, they're, I believe a nonprofit or the startup of some kind that they were, they were founded to be a, completely like distributed education system so they they license i'm not sure if they license but or like professors contribute content to coursera okay um, this sounds an awful lot like bitcoin um <laughs> yeah, yeah just because i use the word distributed doesn't mean it's anything like bitcoin which by the way bitcoin is making a comeback Really? Yes. Even after it got like it super is, hacked, it is making a slow comeback. If you look at the graph, you know you see, you see the spike, the mountain yeah. went back when we talked about it, and but it's it's trickled back up almost to it's at, at about two thirds of the value that it peaked at, huh. where it's sitting at about eight eight to one now hmm. versus huh. the dollar. So like the <laughs> the bitcoins that I have somewhere that I still need to access are yeah. actually worth something. I have like um, I have like six cents or something from the get a free bitcoin. Yeah, thing yeah. I've got like it's six cents worth like of 10 bitcoin. Bucks. That's it. Like Drinks you can, run you, Kevin. Yeah, if I can find someone to take it. Yeah, and, and convert it back. But <laughs> that's the downside. Um, and that's that's the whole. Although apparently you can use in. bitcoins to buy drugs on uh, Silk Road. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that was that was even back then. That was one of the places where you could where oh. they accepted bitcoin. No, was, that uh, that makes perfect sense, and it's Silk it's Road. the perfect drug currency. Oh, yeah, <laughs> completely untrackable. I mean, it's, yeah, which it's, is great. I mean, whatever. That's you know, it's not like cash isn't used for it all the time. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> you see, um, look at the innovation that's happening here when people love education. Uh, yeah, yeah. More drugs. So um, here's Coursera, Matt, in the, in the Skype chat. But um, it is, so, so they, they basically, they, they don't curate, but they, they get courses submitting from, submitted from universities. And they have quite a few dozen on here, I believe, um, and a lot, of, a lot of engineering stuff. Because the, the way that they've designed the website is very much based around um, getting a lot of data out of the educational experience that the students have. So like a thousand students can be taking a course at mm -hmm. the same time. You know, with, with that number of things, you're not, you're not going to be able to do philosophy courses. I mean, although I want to look in the humanities and see what they have. I, I mean, well, they at have, that point, it becomes much more difficult to have what is called authentic methods of of evaluation assessment. yes because with engineering and math courses it's easy i mean you you test you test the student's ability to come to the correct conclusion yes and and the cool thing is you can you see by like uh grade distributions you can mm -hmm. see um common mistakes that students make sure and so professors are getting very good high quality data and feedback about how to better design their their problems, about the types of student mm -hmm. types of mistakes students are making yeah. given certain um, material and yeah. the way that and they and they're they're getting this great feedback and crafting it better, and it allows the professor to to focus more on on refining the the course material and the learning process than worrying about the actual mechanics of it, the grading and, yeah. the, and the actual lecturing and all that, the really boring stuff. 
So, and at the same time, students get a better experience because they're, they're learning with a bunch of other people. There are discussion forums for the classes mm -hmm. that, you know, where people can share information. I mean, there's, there's no cheating really because, you know, everybody's, everybody's sharing everything else. And, and you know, they, they have authentication to where you can't let somebody else take the test for you. Sure. So, um, but when it comes to the humanities and stuff, yeah, I, I wonder actually how the assessment works for some of these, like... Model thinking, or you know, fantasy and science fiction, the human mind, our modern world. Uh, like, how, yeah, I mean, it's one of those that I'm, I, I think, and this is something take that one you these, see is, uh... is in situations like that. And this is not against Coursera at all. It is very difficult to have what is what is called student-driven education. Yeah, um, and that's just it's a limit of class size um, in that. The student should be the center of the educational process, and that's very difficult to do. A, it's very difficult to do online. Hmm. B, it's very difficult to do with lots of people because it's a lecture. You, you, it's very easy to fall back on lecture and repetition. Yes, it is. And that is not student-led education. That is teacher-led education. That is the banking system, and that is a problem. Mm -hmm. And that is is a you know something we've again we've talked about that before. Oh my! I think I'm going to sign up for the uh, the introduction to philosophy course on Coursera. Go for it. <laughs> but Next session. What happens on... if you fail it? Then who we... cares? It's the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say then we stop recording bad philosophy. But... <laughs> that won't happen <laughs> because. Uh, but um, yeah, no. This is so. This we'll get some good. Some yeah, good I'm, I'm curious to experience. see as to see what your experience is like yeah. in that. I don't know that you can have authentic measurements of, of assessment when there's a thousand other people taking the class. Or if you do, it's going to be 80 years until you get your papers back. Um, yeah, we will certainly see. So, I, yeah. And, so, and here's a question about the students. Um, I think we all agree that, the, that there is a problem somewhere in the classroom. But what I'm wondering is... Is there a problem with the students? Are, do students yes. have the motivation and the drive to learn? And it's reasonable to say that the reason they don't enjoy going to class or doing the work for a class is because it's the fault of the structure of the class? Yes. Or is it a fault with the student? So yes. is it the student that doesn't enjoy <laughs> learning? Or do they not enjoy the environment in which they are trying to learn? And if yes. you gave them the correct and proper environment, then they would have no problem desiring yes. to even work hard to learn something new. Mm. Yes. And that's begging the question, everybody. <laughs> if you ever wanted to know what that looks like, way to go, Matt. Thanks. Um, I mean, uh, a great point, Matt. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, but the, the answer to, to your question, Matt, is yes. Um, as I said a bunch <laughs> Many of times. times. You philosophy guys never make any progress. Well, no, Whatever. because it's one of those, the, the situation, and, but there, there is evidence that one of the reasons students don't like school is because they've spent 18 years in school. Mm. Um, or, or 12 years, I guess, in, in the current educational system. Also, until progress is overrated. And, well, there's no such thing as progress. That's not the point. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Denying the existence. Well, okay, there isn't. I'm sorry. Post-structuralist. Oh, uh, yeah. There is no progress. There is no such thing as progress. Um, there is no such thing as thingness. There is difference, there is no but there such is no thing. progress. There is no... There. There, there is there is no there is no <laughs> there is no um the, if the you make it to the light and... before it becomes red that's progress what <laughs> but oh. oh god they're they're in a system the majority of students are in a system that 
spends 12 years teaching them this is how you make it through school, which is not this is how you learn, this is how you make it through school. And because of that, they end up in a system where even in college, they don't like learning, as you've pointed out, Matt. Some mm. of them do. Some of them can beat the system. Some of them can get past it. Some of them can survive it and come out all right on the other side. But a lot of them don't. Um, and I've, I've worked in that system. I've been, I w- I've been in that system and I've worked in that system. And it's the same issue. It's where it's, you, you've got to rearrange the structure on a very dramatic level. And you know, I think, Stephen, you said we shouldn't start over, you know, kill the whole thing and start over. Sometimes I think we should. Um, yeah, start I mean, from scratch in a, in a whole new world. Did and you, by the way, on, on that topic, did you listen to the latest uh, This American Life? Um, the one that included the um, charter cities idea? Yes. Cool. Can it's we cool talk idea. about that for a little bit? So, uh, we'll, we'll, can, we'll get to that in a sec. So okay, I, right, I had a point I was making. Point. But right. it was, and, so, and so to, to answer the question that you were asking, Matt, of do students hate education? Do they not love to learn? The answer is yes, they don't. And the answer is because <laughs> they've been forced through a system that has not rewarded learning. It has rewarded recitation and survival. And that's because we have things like No Child Left Behind and the Star Test and all these other things that and are not grades. about learning. <laughs> well, mm. and, and grades. I'll be honest. You know, I'm, I'm willing to go that far. Um, there, there are some places that, that do that. Yeah, uh, that, that, that don't grade. Yeah, that and those are good. Yeah. I like that. This cu- this paper is very blue. Well, not, I mean, not in the Arrested Development sort of way, where you get an Elvis in math um, or an alligator in PE. Um, that's that's actually in Arrested Development. Um, it is. Yeah, it's it's one of the little throwaway jokes that I, I love. I just blew myself. Um, speaking of season four coming out in May. May. Yay. Uh, um, yeah. And that's something else we're going to talk about when it happens. Sure. Oh, but, definitely. Um, so, so you train students over the course of, of 12 years that this is, this is how you survive mm-hmm. and that survival does not have anything to do with learning or learning what learning is or no. those authentic measures of, of evaluation that we've kind of been walking around. This was, this was Ariely's point a little bit is that you're, yeah. you're, you're training them to, to beat systems. You're yeah. training them to learn systems and, and play them as a game, mm-hmm. basically. Which is a um, useful skill to have. It's just not what they're well, trying to do. It's, okay. It's useful, sort of. Sort of. We're also, I mean, but when you, when you bring people up that way, you also train them in, in, inadvertently to, you know, be good at not getting caught, uh-huh. be good at, at not at breaking at doing the, the minimum requirement. Yeah, meeting the minimum requirements of, of you know, gaming. I mean, it's, it's and really... technicalities. Playing a, a you know, you, when, you, when you put them within a rule set, you're saying, you play within this rule set and... Mm-hmm. The you know winning for them is sort of a meta game. It's how can I play the game in such a way that I do the, the least amount of work for the greatest reward. Sure, um, that's sort of the meta game that everyone seems to be playing. Yeah, um, and and you identified that right at the beginning, Matt. So, but nobody really acknowledges actively that that's what's happening. So not enough people do. Not enough a lot of do. a lot of teachers know that's what's happening. Of course. So so if we all know that this is what's happening, uh huh, and we all agree that it's bad. We don't. That's the issue. Is I mean, the three of us may, okay. but we as as a society don't necessarily. Right. I would say teachers probably have a good grasp on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there. I mean, part of it comes from the fact that the majority of students in America are funded by the government. Yeah, that's, that's who pays for them to go to school. Well, okay, and so the government the makes the rules. If if it's if it's truly a market economy, and if and it's if not as <laughs> well. 
to to a, 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 as much of an extent as it can. Be. Education is not a market economy. Okay, but let's say <laughs> let's put it in a broader context. Okay. So President Obama asked uh, Tim Cook, uh-huh. or asked actually he asked Steve Jobs, way 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 back, um, why couldn't you make the Apple products in America? Uh-huh. Um, Steve Jobs and Tim Cook have both said the same thing that it's it's a it's not a question of can you make it at cost? It's are the skills here in order to do these things? The engineering skills, the manufacturing skills, the, those those skills that go into doing quality work. That's not true. And well, okay, I mean, but I'll, I'll, you I'll tell that, you why I disagree. And that's the argument that he makes. Um, but let's take that as a hypothetical okay. and say that that there actually is a point at which this educational system is objectively creating dead weight, which you might say it is. You know, there, I don't know if there there are studies to support this, but you know, there's certainly a feeling right that the quality of people coming out of the American education system is subpar. Yes, and that and once that starts having an economic impact, mm-hmm. does does that does the, the focus not turn back around to going, okay, well, let's, let's monetarily try to solve this problem because it's worth, it's worth then investing in a change to make this happen. You know, there, there's not, it's not like it's going to happen preemptively. It's mm-hmm. just like the energy crisis. It's going to take it to but it, getting to a is, point where we cannot do anything but correct the system to sustain ourselves. The government doesn't need to create educated people. The government needs to create good citizens. Okay, but let's take the government out of it. I mean, is it, is it not in the... The government of... can't be taken out of it until you take the government out of it. Okay. In that, in that if... I mean, I'm dealing with a situation that exists right now. Mm-hmm. Sure, if, if we want to go idealistic and, and go to our charter city that we create that has well, no government-funded education... So if you, can, if you can wipe the slate clean and uh-huh. just you, you know, start fresh... And that, so I highly encourage all of any of y'all listening to... Listen to the latest episode of This American Life. And all of the other um, ones. Self-improvement kick, I think, yeah. is, is the one that had it. I think it. it's, yeah. Uh, there's a segment in there that talks about uh, a, an economist named uh, Paul Romer. Mm-hmm. And, and Octavio. His, and Octavio. Whose last name I don't remember. A government official in Nic- Nicaragua? No. No, not Nicaragua. Honduras? Honduras, yes. Honduras? He was, a, he was a government official in Honduras. So Octavio got wind of the ideas of Paul Romer. No, a... no, he didn't. That's wrong. Hmm? Sorry. This is a problem that I have with the story. As Whoa, I was telling. okay. All right. There's well, and, and things error? they tell in the story, but no, he came up with this idea. Oh, okay. Independent so he... of... He got wind of the articulation of the idea. No, no. He came up with the idea. Octavio he came, came up, up with the idea, okay. and so did Octavio. He came up this with a problem. similar idea okay. that was articulated in economically rigorous terms by Paul Romer, yes. the American economist. But, but this is the issue But it that was they not Paul from. Romer's idea independently. They or, both or came up with a very similar idea at the same time. Okay. Or similar times. Regardless. No, but this is this is the issue of why it failed. And this is the thing. Is okay. because Well let's let's okay. okay. So <laughs> But I'm saying I, I want you to I want you here, to start but, it right. Yeah, okay. So this guy in Honduras comes up with the idea of like, look, there's all these problems in our country. What if we could just have a part of the country where we just start wipe over. the slate clean and start fresh? At the same time, uh, economist Paul Romer 
very influential economist, Nobel Prize winner or nominee Maybe at some something. point. Um, he also comes up with this, this idea of what he calls charter cities, where in the similar vein as, as where Britain created the, the um, special economic zone of Hong Kong, uh, and it allowed it allowed there to be example. Sorry. it allowed there to be different rules in a certain portion of China where people could opt into a, a system that was dramatically different from that of, of other cities in China um, to, as sort of a test bed, you know, a, a beta city in a way for a new a new approach to you know economic mm-hmm. development, a more commercial approach, a more Western approach, um, and the success of that. He, he argued that we, we need to be actively creating more of these zones. You know, China eventually did 12 more of these. Uh, Shenzhen uh, was another one, and that's where a lot of the Apple manufacturing happens now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he argues that beyond just, just manufacturing rules, we should be creating charter cities with other types of rules that, that try out you know, new principles and new educational styles, you know, new, new models for, for uh, transportation, you know, all, these, all these sorts of ideas and figure out, you know, allow people to opt into these special zones within these, these different countries and, uh, and see what works and see what doesn't and give people a chance to try truly new stuff without the dead weight of existing constitutions, existing mm-hmm. trade agreements, existing laws, existing educational paradigms, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, and he argued for, for this, this as an approach to, to solve you know, poverty and, and various other things. And so, and, and again, you know, I'm not going to restate the entire This American Life episode, but the long and short of it is, um, Octavio got wind of Romer's idea, uh, brought him to Honduras to argue for it, to give legitimacy to the idea that he'd had. Um, they started collaborating in... in um, 2010 and 2011 but Romer as anyone in his position would do I think it's natural like he kind of did this he thought it was his idea and so it was his baby and so he sort of imposed himself on the the process of of creating the first charter city on Honduras and eventually they he kind of got overbearing and they didn't like that so they started excluding him and you know there was this political falling out and he broke ties with them ties that they claimed he never had in the first place and all this all this sorts of stuff so it's it was it was a big mess uh-huh. and you know Romer came away with it came away from it a little bit sad but optimistic about his chances of trying this thing in another place in Africa but I think you know he's missing the, the point of the fact that it's it's just an idea I mean it, and it's not the fact that it's his idea doesn't really matter well the thing but, is and, and this is and if, if from what I can tell from mm-hmm. Paul Romer, he is the worst person to be trying to do this. <laughs> okay. In that, in that, and he talks about you know how he's he's very robot like and doesn't have a lot of emotions and, yeah, and isn't, isn't doesn't isn't really understand thing. politics and and, and I understand that and the and the thing is you know when he when he started talking about this people were like colonialism colonialism you're well, going right. to go in and tell these people how to run their country colonialism and their point is valid. I disagree. I, I still oh their point is very valid. Well, the way that he did it was it's funny like he kind of defeated his own argument, his own counter argument by by taking an active role in this. Yes, and the, and the thing and, is, and so <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it, the 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 Romer method of Romerism doesn't work. It's um, colonialism. Is it actually turns out to be soft colonialism where you know he he really was he wanted to do it his to, way. He, yeah. So I I think. And and that, and he and he said and they interviewed him and they said would well, you know would you do it any differently, 
if you do it again? And he goes, no. <laughs> and that's the problem, is he's not going to look at the situation and say, hmm, he says, why were they so irrational? It doesn't matter you know, yeah. that I didn't give them the most credit or whatever. And, and then you have to say, Paul Romer, that's because it was colonialism. That's because it was the white guy coming into their world and telling them how to do things. Right. And they've already done that and said, no, thank you. But, and, and it's funny because he didn't even follow his own, his own policies no, completely. Because he, 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 he gave a good counter argument in the TED Talk to why it's not colonialism. And, and that was, you know, along the lines of there's choice involved. Uh -huh. You know, it's not like this there's country not being is coming in and imposing anything. Yes. This is, these are measures that the country adopts willingly. Yes. It's opt-in so the citizens can, you know, nobody uh -huh. has to go to this place. Uh -huh. It's a place nobody's living already. And then, you know, people can just go in there. So there, there are ways that you can craft it to where you But there are things that he didn't, you know, oh, anticipate, yeah. of course. No, I mean, this, and it's... And I'm sorry, Matt, if we're leaving you in the dust on all this, but... It's um, okay, I'm a little behind. It's, so so given, given the opportunity, and this... I, I watched the TED Talk. I watched Rummer's TED Talk, and I loved the idea. Apparently it's a great TED Talk. I haven't it's seen it. It's a great it, TED but... Talk, because it gives you that, that sense of, like, oh, my God... You know, we're, we're doing these sorts of, you know, betas for everything else, right? The, the mm -hmm. idea of the beta of, of like, let's, let's create an opt-in test bed that's, you know, by, by its very nature is incomplete. And it, is, it wants iteration and it asks for feedback and it, it, you know, it involves the users in the creative process and all this. Like, that has worked out extremely well in, in software. It's a, it's a great model for building great software. Um, it seems to be a great idea for, for schools. You know, you get charter schools yeah. where people can, can opt their children no, there's, into there's this a other lot style. Of, I'm not, I never said it was a bad idea. Sure. So, so this, you know, and doing it on the scale of a city is, I mean, in a way, it's been, it's been done before, and he, he cites examples of it. Um, you know, the, there's... There's examples from like New World colonization where that, that was the, the, whole, the whole idea of going to the New World was like, we're Starting getting a blank over, slate. Yeah. You know, we can go across the ocean. Yeah, there's nobody here. And start Excuse a colony. Me. And there's nobody here. There's no <laughs> Sorry, Eddie is in reference about coming into the new virgin land that is completely empty and ready to be, um, you know, taken over by these, these people. Me. Excuse me. There's nobody here. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, just because there wasn't nobody <laughs> there here. There wasn't nobody here. There were people here. There were lots of people here. Um, we just killed them all. Right. Because <laughs> that's what we did. That's what we do. Uh, Colonialism. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, I coughed. Colonialism. <laughs> okay. But that aside, <laughs> because there were, there were portions, there were portions of the, of the land that were vacant enough that you could have a colony there and it would yes. be, you know, there, it could have been done better. It, it could have been could done have better. done a lot better. It could have been, there were only like, there was plenty of room. It was a big We continent. almost killed an entire nation of people. Okay. You know sometime other that happened? <laughs> World War II. World War II, yeah. <clears throat> Anyways. So, wow, Godwin's Law. Um, <laughs> so. I'm sorry though, it's, it's a comparable event. Right. But, okay, so, so then let's take it from a scientist and science fiction perspective. Uh -huh. Like, let's say it's the moon, right? Or it's Mars. It's, it's really, there's really nobody there. Like, I'm cool with that. We're really, there, like, there's we're, really nobody there. We're, really, yes. we're bringing 
reading everything, and um, you know, I got through the second book of the Mars trilogy. And I haven't much, much more of this idea of like, what sort of place do we build when we can build a place that doesn't depend on anything else that came before? Yeah. Um, wow, you know, that, that's that's a weird idea, but um, you know, the the whole the whole Charter City thing, and this, this is a long way to get back to this point. <laughs> um, reminded me a lot of Sim City. Where, you know, you just, you start out with a plot of land. Uh-huh. You start out with a plot of virgin land. There are trees on it. You don't see any animals. There are probably animals there's there. Probably animals there's probably animals there. It's trees. There's nobody else there. And, and you, you have money and resources, and you can just come in and start plopping stuff down. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose what kind of city you're going to build. You can build a very industrial city that makes a lot of money, has lots of pollution, but very profitable mm-hmm. you can build a city that's very based on green tech that um you know has sprawling suburban landscapes that has a dense and population sensor and farmland like you can you can go a lot of different directions especially sure. in the the later games got much more diverse in the types of cities you could build um and they all work and you can find balances that work in a much more complicated sense that's what these charter cities would be mm-hmm. um is you set up rules at the beginning and they would have to be simple rules, limited rules, that um, you know e- are either based on the rules of existing countries that sort of do a mishmash, like a remix of yeah. the laws of these other nations. They were talking in the Honduran one about bringing in the um, using the Supreme Court of some European country as like the highest yeah. Supreme Court as, as the model. Like, yeah, um, trade law from Canada, mm-hmm. like and it's in this weird sort of like Frankenstein. Uh, model and yeah. it, you know it reminded me a lot of okay you know the American Constitution borrowed a lot from British law and but it Magna also borrowed from I mean, it went back the Magna Carta. It goes back that far. Um, you know the the I mean whenever you start a country you cannot but incorporate things from the sure the, you try to incorporate the best from yeah it's others. like that's awesome let's take that <laughs> but there's no more space to create new countries anymore so cities are becoming the new countries in a way I, I feel you know they, they have that opportunity it's easier to, be, to start a city than it's it is much a easier to start a city there's you know a great graph that he shows in, uh-huh. in the TED talk that remember does of um, you know we're using like one or two percent of the arable land on on the earth for cities and so you know you could you could build fifty more major cities and uh-huh. be using four percent of the arable land on the yeah. earth. You know you could you could there's a lot of more land to uh-huh. cover if you especially if you work efficiently. Um, you know because we we sprawled a little bit too much. We, you know we just got to the point where more than half of the earth's population lives in cities, right? I don't know. Or is it more than half of the U.S. population passed it a long time ago? I think it's that more than half of the, me, yeah. the world's population. Um, and and therefore, you know, cities are going to be the 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 places where we can innovate in the mm-hmm. future. So you know, regardless of the fact that Romer had the first idea, he the, didn't. Yeah, <laughs> regardless of whether he did or did not. This yes, that's my point. I didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> um, it's a good idea, and and I think it's central to this question of reforming education. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, I agree. Well, and even even that word reforming. You know, uh-huh. Matt, you were talking about earlier. Why don't we change the educational system? Mm-hmm. I, I think I think the solution, just like Octavio had the insight, is like just leave it behind. Yep. I mean, and and because people can move, you know, uh-huh. it's like you know we're well, we're some in very in very few aspects of our lives are we really tied into a certain system. At least at least in the United States. Well, you know? yes and no. I mean, that's there's a certain amount of of class privilege in that statement. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, well, let me point out one other thing too, and that's that I I think I had mentioned something in my comment on Facebook. I said should it be illegal for professors to grade these papers automatically? But I really don't uh, think it should be, and I, I do agree that that's the correct um, answer. Yeah. You know, uh, like I agree that it's okay to it's better to leave something behind um, if you don't need it. Um, but uh, I I don't at all think that there should be more legislation that says. It is illegal for a instructor in a classroom to grade a paper automatically using a computer. Uh, I don't think that yeah. at all that's necessarily it, it or that be beneficial. It, it should be. Um, and there's another I do school see your point, over here Stephen, where professors are, if, are not uh, allowed to, and that's the one that more people go to and have a better experience in. Like that's, that should yeah. be the that's the market economy model. Yes. You know. Sorry, you, yeah, you, and so I see that. what you're saying is that you know if you don't need it, leave it behind, move on to something better. But like Kevin was saying, not everyone can do that because there's some like we've been promising for so long. We've been telling people if you go to school, you work hard, you get good grades, you get a good job, you can support your family and get you know have a good life. Right. Um, but the problem is is that's not working for people. But they can't do anything else because they have only been told they can do one thing. They've only been given one option. Hmm. Well, and and true. I mean, there there's. And that's really what this comes down to is, is a question of choice. And so I was, I was trying to think a little bit more about like how, so if you were to build a, a better educational model, what would it look like? Would it look more like businesses where you, you have radically different educational styles? Um, well, I, I think that's a big part of it because, because um, it, someone was telling me the other day that um, when, I mean, this was someone who's about to retire. They said when they first entered the job market, they said businesses and large corporations were training their employees to do a job. Even if it wasn't, you know, your traditional skilled expertise for one type of job, but just broad training in general. And as you go through your career, like companies were teaching people stuff. They were sending them to uh, additional, you know, learning outside of school. And they were paying for this to happen. And then that was kind of, at least for software, that was kind of the IBM era um, where your corporation that you worked for was your life, your, you know, for yeah. your entire working career. <laughs> but now, because there's been such an effort to maximize cost, especially with the global marketplace that we are living and working in, that no one is paying for anyone to learn something anymore. If you don't know it, they'll go pay someone who knows it. And I think that's part of the problem that, um, you know, Obama says, why are jobs not here? Well, and the reason jobs are somewhere else is because it's cheaper somewhere else. That's the way it comes sure. down to money. And so if people, if, you know, I can have someone else do something that's cheaper, why would I pay you to learn it if you don't already know it? And, well, you know, and then you get to already know it if um, you're not being taught it in the first place. And so it's just this kind of snowballing effect of horrible that has put us, I think, to a large extent. I think it is hurting our economy. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and, and yeah, and, and I, I see, I see your point a little bit there, but I, 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 I have a worry that we're we're a little bit too scared of this this globalism. We're scared of what it'll do, and you know that the the ideas of outsourcing have always been uh, railed on. You know because there's there's sort of this sense that well, you know we should we should keep the jobs here. You know that sort of localization of um, of everything, even even at the expense of quality, and and even at the expense of because there are always secondary consequences, right? Like. Um, if if it truly does cost more to produce a product in a certain place, like in the United States, then you're lowering you're potentially lowering the quality of life for everyone as a peripheral consequence, you know, as a as a as collateral damage for making um, you know, let's say cars exclusively in the United States, 
either cars themselves cost a lot more or you know the government has to heavily subsidize them you know you you have mm-hmm. to just ask how how that works out you know and the the, the economy is very complicated and we're getting into other other aspects <laughs> now but um i mean I, there, there's something there's something really I don't know. I'm just I'm fixated on this, and I'm not sure why. Like, the, there's something beautiful about that idea of just I'm just starting over. You know, you feel like yeah, work your well in Amsterdam, right? Wow, God, the wire is about everything. Um, sorry, what was that, Matt? So the We the People website um, that's oh, run by the yeah. White House, where people can go and um, yeah, the petition sign the petition. There's yeah. the big petition for Texas to secede. <laughs> Texas well, isn't allowed to secede. No, and, and, you know, a big petition is, is a relative term. Well, unless you, you know. go to change.org. Those are actual, like, legal petitions. Oh, really? Um, well, in that if, you, if a petition on change.org gets a certain number of votes, by oh, people, yeah. it, it actually has to get a U.S. response. There's one today about the Death Star. We the people. What, what is, how is We the People different from change.org? We the People isn't sponsored by the government, as far as I know. No. Yeah, actually it is, That I is, think. yeah. No. Wait, so change. Is it change.gov? Maybe. I think it's uh, the white white house petitions white house dot gov is titled We the People. Oh, is it? That's okay, the, maybe we're talking the, about the oh, same thing. Yeah, change dot gov is the Obama Biden transition project. Oh, okay, well then that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which has ended because the administration has begun. <laughs> Please join President Barack Obama at whitehouse dot gov. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no, no I mean. And so I mean, there there is an instance where people tried to change, but they, you know, there was they were trying to go at it from the state level, and that supports what you were saying is that change has got to be smaller, more localized. It's at the city or even smaller. The city level, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's because you know even a state is is too big of an economic block. Like you're you're just drawing a boundary around a bunch of cities. Like more mm-hmm. more than anything, Texas is a collection of a few dozen major cities. Like right. that's. Or even not even that many. Like I'd say less than a dozen. Any any given state now now that the population is more is denser in and around the cities is basically a a bottle of you know marbles and the marbles being the the cities themselves various sizes, and so where you draw the lines is kind of arbitrary and you know that's we we've seen that over the course of human history too is sort of the. The cities are the focal points around which all the activity happens, and then the you know the outlying areas just support the cities, and that's where this you know power is centralized and all this. So, in a in a way, the the city state has never gone away um, as a as a convenient unit by which to organize laws and power and policy and trade and all this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They're the Lawrence attractors of of human existence. Um, and I, I really like the idea of let's just build a crap ton more of them, you know, and let's, <laughs> let's really, let's really experiment with wild stuff. And some well, of them will uh, fail. Be, be sure to send me an invite to the beta. Yeah, right. <laughs> on a, uh, on a related note, um, the Mars One Project. Have y'all heard of this? Is this the one where they put a bunch of people in a trailer? Well, maybe out initially. Out the desert? Yeah, the, so the, the Mars, it's mars-one.org. They are a nonprofit, and uh, this isn't it. Then they they have a they have a, an interesting idea, uh, a, a different approach that I haven't quite seen yet, of how to get people to Mars. Their their goal, their mission is to get humans to Mars by 2013, by <laughs> having a completely televised broadcast webcast 
reality show for the entire process of selecting the astronauts, developing the vehicles, and sending the astronauts to Mars. Like every little inkling of the process being completely transparent and, you know, selling advertisements, making it a reality show, a huge reality show. Mm-hmm. Wait, when they're supposed when are they supposed to get to Mars? Uh, 2013 or 2023, sorry. 10 years. Uh, by 2013. Yep, it's going to be this year everybody. <laughs> Uh, but it starts this year. That's why I got confused. Because they recently opened up applications for astronaut selection. So you can, if you so desire, apply to be one of the first people on the Red Planet. If, you're, if you've got the stomach for going through 10 years of your life being broadcast and potentially... That wouldn't be the issue I would have with it. The issue yeah, I'd have it with be getting to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, if anything, reading the Mars trilogy has made me a lot less enthusiastic about actually going to Mars. At least being the first, you know, thousand people or first 20 years of people or 100 yeah. years of people, I'm like... Eh. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, maybe. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating idea. And it really... You, you, gotta, you gotta think, like, that's... That is something we've never done before as humanity. Going to the moon, you know, we're going to have to face that that possibility of really going to a place and do you sever ties with the economic body that you came from? You know, do you do you uh, replay the American Revolution? You know, do you? Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Is that sort of an, an inevitability in that sort of a situation? Um, and what kind of newness can you create? I, I love I love that the Mars trilogy really explores a lot of that and like it looks at it looks at the educational aspect it looks at the economic aspects and the geographic aspects the terraforming aspects of course but we we have the chance to do that here on earth i really believe we do uh, well that's optimistic of you steve we could bring mars to earth we could no but there was a group that um i think it may have been the u.s government but somebody did a 10-month study mm. By it was Russia, putting wasn't people, it? no, no, here it was here in the states. Oh, by putting people in in trailers as if they were on Mars to see what their the impact of their life would be. Apparently, they became very lethargic and sat around, didn't do much any at all. Like by the end of it, they they were laying down or sitting down much more than they were standing up. Wow. Um, and apparently, playing video games like got them through the day most of the time. Oh man. Um, so it was really interesting. Like it, I, I, it just finished recently, and they started publishing results from this experiment where they they were living as if living on Mars. Huh. Um, so, so if they went outside, experiment. they had to wear suits, and they had and they were you know sort of putting them all together to see you know how long. Can they last in isolation? They were on a 20-minute communication delay with the rest of the world. Oh, man. What, you would be on Mars. That, so if you send something, it's at least 20 minutes till it gets back to you. Um, wow. And one of the interesting things that came out was that they, were, they became incredibly lethargic. But um, I, I, so I, I challenged the, the actual applicability of a, of a study like that because... A, there's not that huge psychological component of oh my god, I'm actually on Mars. Like yeah, you know the but until we can and, actually get people to Mars, yeah. So so naturally you're gonna you know you know it's an experiment. Yeah, and that really affects your motivation. It will, um, but there's um, not, the survival aspect doesn't kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, B, there's not the promise of like more stuff that's gonna happen after that because presumably like. The 2023 mission would be the first of many. You sure. Know, it would prompt a, a second wave and a third wave. But wouldn't you argue we need to know something about what's going to happen? 
I mean, we did yeah. isolation tests before we sent people to space the first time. You know, we put them in, mm -hmm. in isolation chambers for extended periods of time, not months. Right. But again, and, and understanding what those... But how well did those, those correlate to, act, to how astronauts I think they actually did. reacted in space? I think they did. Because really? it's about, well, you have to understand how people, what they can do when they can't communicate, mm. when they are cut off from the world. Yeah. Those are important things to know. And, and to be fair, Big Brother is less scientifically accurate than what they were doing. And so I'm glad this is out there <laughs> yeah. rather than just doing Big Brother for, you know, eight well, I months. Well, part of the Mars One project is doing something like that. Well, yes. It's, it's, and, and actually making it TV. Of, yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, broadcasting the whole thing yeah. on television. And you can watch these people anytime going slowly mad. Wow. There's a horror movie. So, in there. Uh, what what is the purpose in going to Mars? Because the last time I checked, there's nothing on Mars. It's the next step, dude. I mean, man, it's, it's why why didn't we go to the moon? Right. So, so <laughs> Russia take uh, twenty minutes of communication yeah. time to talk back and forth to it. No, but why did we go? It, and and, and Stephen, you know, makes the, make the political I mean, option. But the the bigger reason was why was Russia trying to get there? Well, before we did, why was anybody trying to get there? Because we could supremacy. I mean, right? We really see. I was trying to, to parallel this to you know, like Columbus exploring and sailing off to, you know, the West Indies as he thought, you know. But it's like it, he had something to go for. There yeah. was food yeah. and water on the other end, you know, some well, basic human resources. <laughs> but like, <laughs> other than just the fact that you know, I touched Mars first. Like, is there any reason that anyone would go? There's no more reason than there is to climb Mount Everest. Well, the interesting thing in, in the Mars trilogy is it, it shifts from being a scientific mission oh, yeah, yeah. to being a political mission. Sure. And so for the people for the people there, it slowly transforms from being we're here to be the first Earth humans on Mars to being mm -hmm. we have a chance to start fresh. Mm -hmm. You know, they start realizing that that, that distance of communication of space, etc., physically and and metaphorically separates them uh -huh. from the the human past. I mean that's a that's a monumental unprecedented disconnection. Oh, yeah. That is, you know, you are tied to that planet merely by the pattern that you brought there with your, your genetic code. Uh -huh. And you know that they, they they say I love the line at one point like this the second generation of Martians they're like every piece of me is of this planet, mm -hmm. you know. I am I am one hundred percent of the you know the food and the minerals yep. and the everything that was, was produced. I am I am fully Martian. Yeah, and and that that changes. You know, they're mm -hmm. like physically different. They're slightly taller. You know, their physical changes yeah. from the, the environment. And, and the like, gravity is different. You then start to actually have a different species of human being. Uh -huh. You know, in the in the same way that that um, you know, as human beings migrated continent to continent, it mm -hmm. affected their 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 makeup. So, oh, yeah. it's you know, we we will. I I won't call it. So progress, let's but, let the short guys go first. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're still um, gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna die short. <laughs> um, but anyways, well, we've gone. We've started from automatic grading to Mars colonization. This has been quite a meandering bad yeah, philosophy. we tried. <laughs> uh, did you not get a text from Oso? I was hoping he would text. Uh, I, I did not. No, okay. we haven't I didn't gotten get one any, either, um, but any new well, He's stuff. been out for an hour, so he's not coming. But Well, Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's fun to be back. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I share your same hope that, that eventually someday we'll be able to reform all this, but... I think the way that we're going to do it is just by sidestepping the institutions and just 
like Coursera is doing, just creating something better, letting people opt into it, and then just mm -hmm. going from there, you know? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, uh, Kevin, where can people find you on the, uh, the worldwide interwebs? Twitter.com slash Kevsand. Cool. K-V-S-A-U-N-D. Uh, Matt, where can people find you online these days? You know what? As much as it pains me to say it, probably Facebook.com slash Legmar. L-E-G-M-A-R. <laughs> no T. So no can you actually, are you publicly visible on Facebook? Uh, somewhat, I think. Okay. You can at least say, you know, do you want to be friends with this Hi, person? So, I think I've got something more on there than just Hi, Matt. Okay. <laughs> I, why would you have that on your own profile? To greet the Martians. <laughs> have, have you ever tagged yourself in your own Facebook post? Just random question. Uh, I don't think I've tagged anybody uh, ever. Yes, by yes? accident, because I'm friends with another Matt Legler. <laughs> Although, if you want to, and I saw somebody else do the, that thought of this idea, so I'm just repeating it. Uh -huh. But you can go make friends with somebody who has the same name as you, and then like everything they say. So they seem the most narcissistic person. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Legler likes this. Wow. Uh, but yeah. it's a good way to get you unfriended fairly quickly. Definitely, but. definitely. Well, <laughs> and you can you can unfriend me uh, or unfollow me at uh, twitter.com slash storrents, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. Um, check us out at facebook.com slash badphilosophy and twitter.com slash the same. And, uh, you know, hey, if you uh, feel like applying to be an astronaut, mars-1.com. Uh, we'll see you on the red planet. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you got some uh, education out of this, and uh, we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. Okay, I keep, like, every time I read a We the People response, I get kind of annoyed because... They're also like generic. Well, they're not even generic. They're just like they're nothing. Nothing new comes out of them, right? Um, and it makes me feel like it's it's not that they're not listening because someone is honestly writing these responses, and that's important. Yeah. But it's still like I just because I mean here's one on the legalization of marijuana, um, sort of about you know we should stop, we should make it no longer remove it as a you know class one controlled substance because. It's legal in marijuana in Colorado, or it's illegal in marijuana. It's legal in Colorado and Washington. Marijuana is illegal in marijuana. Whoa, marijuana. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and and he sort of goes, look, there's there's a big discussion going on right now, clearly. And then it's like, here's a quote from President Obama in an interview with Barbara Walters. Uh huh. He's like, do you think marijuana should be legalized? He said, I wouldn't go that far. You know, as it is, the federal government has a lot to do when it comes to criminal prosecutions. It does not make sense from a prioritization of point of view for us to focus on recreational drug users, even though they do, and it's tough because Congress hasn't changed the law, and so we have to have a conversation about how do you reconcile a federal law that still says marijuana is illegal, and a state law that says it's not, and then he goes, and this is the last paragraph, and this is the one that really annoys me. When you're talking about drug kingpins, folks, or drug kingpins, folks involved in violence, people who are peddling hard drugs to our kids in neighborhoods that are devastated. There's no doubt that we need to go after these folks hard. It makes sense for us to look at how we can measure, make sure that our kids are discouraged from using drugs and engaging in substance abuse generally. But the thing is, those people, the kingpins, yeah. the violence, those disappear 
when you legalize it. We saw that happen with prohibition. Yeah. The reason prohibition, I mean, we saw in prohibition the start of, you know, organized crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that organized crime still exists. Yeah. I don't know. It, it may not. I, I have no idea if organized crime exists. Probably. Yeah. But, you know, we saw more violence. We saw more under-the-table drug. We saw the Kennedys exist because of, they were, they were, they were a moonshine family. Mm. They, they were running booze during Prohibition, which is where they made all their money, and then he became the president mm -hmm. later on down the line. I mean, so, I mean, that, that family exists because of Prohibition. And when you, and we don't, we don't have anybody who's, who's making millions of dollars selling alcohol anymore. We don't. We don't have people getting shot mm. In breweries, Amsterdam. I mean, Amsterdam didn't work. Don't get me wrong, okay. but it's. I mean, yeah. well, it, I mean, it did. It did for a bit. For a bit, yeah. and it wasn't that it didn't work because it got shut down. It didn't work because of other problems that were going on. Yeah, yeah. But we, they did cause a drop in crime. Yeah. And you, I mean, and it's, and so it's one of those that yeah, yeah, the kingpins go away when they're not under the table anymore. They become CEOs. Yeah. And they don't shoot anybody anymore. They just make really bad keynotes. They make really bad keynotes. <laughs> and lots of money. But they're already making yeah, right. lots of money. <laughs> and the government gets their cut. And so that's uh, and they, so not only does he go, he, his, his argument doesn't make sense at the end. And then he says it's for the kids, which is a stupid argument for anything. Hmm. And I speak as, as, as... Oddly enough, Paul Romer's um, idea was also for the oh, kids. Oh, I know. I know yeah. it was. Yeah. And doing anything for the children is never a good reason. Mm. And I say that as someone who's not doesn't even hate kids that much. <laughs> <laughs>